No. Mariah Carey? No. <laughs> oh my God. Nailed it. Christmas is coming. <laughs> I listen to that shit year round. All I want for Christmas. Oh my God. Let's put out a Christmas album. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it has to tie into SVU. Cool. At the very end, it'll just be like, <laughs> all I want for Christmas is you. Dun, dun. <laughs> Stay be. <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. I forgot what we said in the beginning. I'm like, welcome? Nobody's here. (laughs) So we're on season one, episode 18, Wanderlust. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody's a pedophile from here on out in SVU, I guess. Yeah. Like every single person, every single man, adult women aren't attractive, you guys. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're not. You reach your peak at 17 and it's all downhill. Jesus. (laughs) We open up, there's lots of cop action on the street. An unmarked car pulls up and Elliot Stabler gets out. He flashes his badge and he says, Elliot Stabler, sex crimes. <laughs> he said it in a way. <laughs> I know. I know. Did you? Ca- yeah. Yeah. I love him. But the way he introduced himself was like, you're welcome. <laughs> I felt like it was like, I don't have time for the sex crimes. <laughs> I'm here. Sex crimes. Sex crimes. <laughs> so this beat cop comes out and she's adorable. She's a little like Polly Pocket size beat cop. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Vic is a Richard F. Schiller, 42. So they go inside. Inside the house, there's a naked dead dude in a fancy leather chaise chair lounge type thing. Mm-hmm. At first I thought it was an office chair, but upon closer inspection, it was like a mod black leather thing. Yeah. He was slumped back with thick black tape over his mouth and a sheet over his privates. You could see his tan line though, and it looks like he wears his swimming trunks like up over his belly button. <laughs> I caught that on the second time I, I watched it. I didn't catch it at all. And I was yeah. like, that's a weird place for a tan line. Either he's wearing like, like waiters those, and no shirt or... It's like those 60s where the tan lines on his legs are up by his dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then we hear this voice. Who the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's Jill Taylor from the hit 90s show Home Improvement that I had to pretend I was obsessed with because tween Tasha didn't know what was happening to her body when she saw Jonathan Taylor Thomas's bowl cut. I was so attracted to him. Yeah. We've had this conversation. I think everybody our age at that time had this conversation. Yeah, but like you and I as adults have had this conversation. I'm like, oh, home improvement, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And you were like, oh, fucking Simba from The Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> yep, he was the voice of Simba. Have I talked about this on the podcast? With no, my mom? you've talked about, no, you've talked oh. about it to me. So I didn't know what was happening with my body either. <laughs> but. Well, actually, it wasn't Jonathan Taylor Thomas. It was the older teen adult version that was what Matthew Broderick's voice. Oh, yeah. And he had this. That tracks for you. And it was like hot. (laughs) I remember going to my mom and really opening up. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I was like, I want to fuck that lion, mom. I was like, oh, my God. Is this tying back into the sexy lingerie? (laughs) I was like, Mom, I, I think I have a crush on Simba. And my mom was like, Oh, you're desperate. And I remember just being like crushed because I was like, Oh, 
Mary, you're a bitch. <laughs> Leave that in. Uh. Mom. <laughs> um, so anyway, her name's Annabelle Hayes, and she's the landlord slash owner of the house. And she's playing this role pretty cunty, but I'm here to defend her because she is super put out by this dead guy. Yeah. He is really interrupting whatever it is that's happening in her life. Yeah. I like how she's like, he was the best tenant. He Then that's when she starts getting emotional. He made run on time sometimes early. <laughs> not to get too far into her as a character, but at first I'm just like, I'm not going to be able to watch her without Thinking, being like, Tim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think so, Tim. Like, I was just going to see Wilson half face over a fucking fence with a bucket hat. In the precinct. Yeah. (laughs) But it did not take long for me to completely forget that Mm -hmm. she was such an iconic character from my youth because she was so good at this role. Like, she played a tiny bit buzzed perfectly yeah you know what i mean where it's like somebody's like oh i'm playing an alcoholic and she was like i'm always a little bit on the brink but i'm still managing my alcoholism yeah you know she did it was incredible she was incredible i'm sure she got an award for this role (laughs) so the dead guy was renting a room from her and she and her daughter virginia lived there also she's super upset about him being dead yeah stabler's like you take her downstairs and she's like i'm right here (laughs) I live here. I'm not going anywhere. Like she like flips out. Don't talk to me like that in my house. Yeah. And then Olivia was like, actually, I'd like some coffee. And then she was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Stabes pulls the tape off of the guy's mouth for evidence and pulls a pair of red panties. Don't. I know we have to. It's another episode full of panties. They use a lot of underwear words. I like Olivia. I don't think says panties once. Let's get back to the underpants. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're talking about underpants. (laughs) So he pulls the panties out of Richard Schiller's mouth. And the dude was a writer writing a travel book. And Stabes is like, looks like he choked on his own words. Which I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, they never explain it. We're at the precinct and fucking Cassidy is there again. So the team is in the bullpen looking at victim Richard Schiller's books. They're mapping out where he's traveled, looking to see if someone had motive, like maybe some person from a different country that he was writing about killed him. They bring up the panties and Munch is like Schiller a he she. Can we fucking drop that? I know. If I never hear that term again, it'll be too soon. But yeah. Stabler was like, like annoyed like, with Munch. He's like, and no, it's like, he's a writer. And I was like, what is happening? Stabes, girl, you are the first one that we heard say yeah he she this doesn't matter but munch is talking shit about his writing and jeffries makes a reference to the bridges of madison county oh God. and cassidy goes that was incredible and munch is like you mean incredibly banal and then just sits and talks shit about it but then it cuts to cassidy and he goes i was talking about the movie yeah <laughs> he said it all cocky like he was owning him and i'm I thought it was great. It just munches whole fucking thing. I was like tuning out. See, Cassidy's tone in this episode reminds me of when he played Liz Lemon's boyfriend. Mm, yeah. And so everything he said was fucking hilarious to me. It's like I was talking about the movie dummy. <laughs> <laughs> You're the stupid one. Book? What book? 
Schiller had a clean record. He was he had been divorced for 10 years. He had no next of kin. His ex-wife runs a tea importing business. In the last two years, he had been renting the room from Mrs. Hayes. He never missed a payment. His, um, his time of death was in the evening. There was no forced entry. And the cause of death was blunt force trauma. And there was a missing weapon. Oh, Cragen wants Benson and Stabler to go back and talk to Mrs. Hayes. Stabler's like, yeah, last night she was non-coppus mentis. We'll go talk to her today. And so I gurgled non-coppus mentis, and it means not sane or in one's right mind. And I'm like, fuck you. I have follow-up questions, Stabler. Why? Because she was a bitch to you? That's a dick thing to say. Yeah. That was really munchy of you, actually. Was she supposed to be drunk? I don't know. She was tired, put out. Her house was swarmed with police, and her favorite tenant was dead. It's just annoying because I feel like I got triggered by him saying that. Because every time a fucking woman is like... Yep. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. We don't have to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Mm-hmm. We all know. We're all and fucking crazy. Anytime a woman's like, you know, being a human. Yeah. Sorry. I'm disappointed in you, Stabler. All right. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Durst Publishing. Benson and Stabler walk into this nice office lobby and Annabelle Hayes is behind the front desk answering calls. And it's like the phones are like ringing like crazy. Yeah. Durst Publishing. One moment. Like a ton of calls. Yeah. Throughout their whole conversation, she just continues to answer the phone. Yeah. But we all are well aware that that's classic SVU shit. But for some reason, her doing it is rude. And she even said, she's like, oh my God, I can't leave this desk. Can you wait for my break? And they're like, it'll just be a minute. And then they acted like annoyed that she was still doing her job. Right. All she did was answer the phone and go, there's publishing. Thank you. And like pushed a button. Women's jobs aren't important. Nobody's ever bitching about all those dudes. They're questioning moving boxes all the time or right. whatever. The guys just keep, keep on keeping on with moving those boxes. Yeah. So it turns out her daughter never came home the night before. She shows them a photo of her. She's pretty, but had a cat. So I'm like, ew. <laughs> yeah. I like how she's like, they're like, she's pretty. And she's like, like mother, like daughter. So she's been renting out the room for 11 years. She's divorced. He was the best tenant. Fantastic credit rating. Mm-hmm. She claims she wasn't banging Schiller though. And Schiller's editor is two floors up, John Freeman. Yep. So they're going to go up and talk to him. So they're in John Freeman's office and I liked him. Oh my God. Can he, I say his little bow tie? John Freeman, a bow tied Bob Newhart type with the voice oh. of Dustin Hoffman. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Second rewatch. I was busy doing shit in the kitchen. So I just had it on. Just like a woman should be. Mm-hmm. Yep. I baked cupcakes today. Mm-hmm. I am a cliche. But I heard like when he said at the end, his divorce ended in a hug. Yeah. I was like, Dustin Hoffman? Fucking but it makes sense. Greg Focker's dad? That's <laughs> he's he's had so many iconic roles. <laughs> the poor guy. So John Freeman, he really liked um, Schiller a lot. He said he had a lot of honor and he didn't date much because he didn't want all the baggage because he was traveling so much. He had met so many different types of women Mm -hmm. that nobody turned his head. He said that like every sort of relationship he had always ended well. He said that even his, even Schiller's divorce ended with a hug, Mm -hmm. which is... He also said he basically said, oh, I called his death a while ago, but that's because he did all these adventurous things, still implying that we could never know. Now, that brings me to this, though. He was like a lion or like rebels or, yeah. He's like, I thought someone would call me from another country. All they found left of him was a shoe. Yeah. You know, this is where I go, wait a minute. How is this a sex crime from the top of the show? How is this a sex crime? Because he was was... naked? I don't. They called him before Stabes pulled the panties out of his mouth. Maybe just because he 
who's naked? Maybe. When people are naked, do they just call SVU? Are they like, we should just get on top of this? So now they're at the Teas of the World, which is Schiller's ex-wife's tea shop. She serves Cassidy tea, and he looks at her like, what the fuck do I do with this? <laughs> it's like, do I soak my fingertips in this? Like, what is? <laughs> what are we doing? She's adorable, and she was saying that when they had met, he had wanted to settle down and didn't want to travel as much, but he would always dream about it. And she would catch him running his fingers over the map, and she was saying that at the end, if a different area code got brought up, they'd get into a fight, and that was how much he wanted to start traveling again. Munch was a creep. Munch was a total creep. He just eye-fucked her while she yeah. whisper-told them her whole story, yeah, and her she, whole marriage. She was like, we were great lovers, but better friends. I never thought I was like the great love of his life. And then Munch is like, that's hard to believe. So yeah, he tried to settle down with her, but he was too passionate about traveling. That's yeah. basically what she told them. And so Munch and Cassidy decide they need to tackle Schiller's address book. Mm-hmm. They're back at the precinct, and everybody's all over Schiller's address book. Everybody's at a different desk talking in a different language. Except for Stabler. He's just chewing on a toothpick. Yeah, laughing at Olivia for knowing a little bit of Spanish. Right. <laughs> But so far, they have found nothing. And then Jeffries walks in, and she said that the daughter of the landlady, Virginia Hayes, was caught shoplifting at Grand Central Station. Jeffries, who's on top of her shit, as per usual, already took the report. Benson and Stabler went down to Grand Central Station to pick up Virginia Hayes, Mm -hmm. Annabelle Hayes' daughter, who has been missing. Yep. She's a smug little shit that clearly takes care of herself. Yeah. So Jim Gaffigan's twin comes up and asks... And asks about a train, and she knows exactly where to send him and when it leaves. Benson and Stabler tell her something happened at home, and she's like, Mom? Mm -hmm. So they get her out of there. They take her back to the house. Mrs. Hayes runs out, and she's like, it's Shilly. He died. And she's like, my poor baby, and grabs her face, and she flips. She's like, you bitch. You couldn't (laughs) keep your hands off him, could you? And even the mom was like, what? She was like confused and like ran back inside. And the detectives break it up, and I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. They're at the precinct, and Benson and Stabler are questioning Virginia. She says her mom is a drunk and that she never sees her dad. She says she was just riding the trains all night. She like missed her stop and just kept going because she just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. She says that Schiller wouldn't bang her mom, but he was too polite to tell her directly, which drove her mom crazy. Mm -hmm. Virginia seemed to admire Schiller and she tells the detectives her mom was jealous of his life. The panties? Moms. She always wore the good stuff when she was trying to get lucky. I'm like, ew, how do you know any of that? Yeah, I know. I don't know that about my mom. I don't know if I've ever seen my mom's underwear. I'm sure I have in like the laundry or something. But you're not going, ah, mom must have got fucking pork last. <laughs> These are mom's pork and panties. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> that is not a word I use. I know it's so hard to say pork without laughing after the P when, when you try to use it in a thing. I think, I just think the oh, sound man. of the word. What if I called you one day and was like, oh, Tasha. I totally got porked last night. <laughs> and they were like, were you wearing your parking panties? I was like, you know I was. You know I was. When Gabe says porked, she does like a little pop with her shoulders, throws her head back, just living her best pork in life. Just to get used to saying porking without laughing, I'm gonna, every time I say fuck, I'm going to... I was I'm just going to say it was really- porking awesome. Yes. I love you so much. Just for <laughs> I pork and love you so much, dude. <laughs> All right, okay. I can't cry laugh every time we do an episode. Yes, Bullpen. <laughs> pork pen. <laughs> it's the ham house. <laughs> Back at the ham house. 
that's ever again. <laughs> okay. So we're in the bullpen at the precinct, and Olivia introduces Virginia to Munch and Cassidy. And Cassidy's like, hey, Ginny. And she's like, Virginia! <laughs> Liv asks them to take her home, and Virginia asks Munch if she can drive. And Munch is like, since you're about as old as my partner, I don't see why not. Cassidy's like, what? Yeah. I was like, man, they really shit on Cassidy for like three full minutes. Yeah, that's why he That's why leaves. he wanted to leave. Munch and Cassidy leave with Virginia. Stabler's reading some shit that says that Annabelle had seven tenants in the last five years. And Olivia's like, only one left in Manhattan. So they're at the Vinyl Turns. The record store is called As the Vinyl Turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a play on... Yeah, As the World Turns. I hated this guy. I could tell he was acting like... I could tell he was acting. I meant he was giving it his all. Like he was thinking he was. this was going to be his breakthrough role. Oh. To me. But it sucked. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? You know what I hate? Somebody trying. <laughs> We're from the 90s. <laughs> So he was saying that Mrs. Hayes would like constantly be touching him and always found ways to bother him. He was so triggered just by the mention of her. Yeah. And they were like, did you guys have a sexual relationship? And he was like literally repulsed. No. 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 Um. So he said that he had brought a friend home one night, like a lady friend, just to try to throw her off and be like, this is my girlfriend, even though she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Hayes lost her shit, kicked the girl out and then like read the lease to him. Yeah. She was saying that the lease doesn't permit overnight guests without permission. Why would you pay rent somewhere that you? Okay. I would not do well in that type of rental situation. No. Best and Sieber were like, why did you stay? And he was like, I was in grad school and I was totally fucking broke. But now Which, he's like, I can't even stay at a B&B anymore. Small talk over tiny blueberry muffins. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he was like, Ugh. like did the thing with They're his They're like, fingers. we get it. Okay. He didn't like her. She was horny. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. So they're back at the Hayes house. <laughs> <laughs> not saying ham house. Benson and Stabler are asking Mrs. Hayes more questions and she's nursing on a fucking big old glass of whiskey or something. Yeah, yeah. She's like, got this whiskey on the rocks. She's playing it. Like, she seems a little bit real life drunk. Right. I wonder if she's a method actor and she was like, I'm just going to do like two shots before we hit this scene and... Get a little loosey. Just a little bit loose. Yeah. I don't know. Because Olivia was like, how did your panties end up down the back of your tenant's throat? And she's like a tiny bit slurry. And she goes, maybe they crawled down. Yeah. The whole time giving like hard Mrs. Trunchbull face. Right. Yeah. So they were asking if anyone else was in the home. And she was like, people don't just magically show up here. Um, Or if she touched the body in any way when she found it. She said, yeah. Oh, yeah. I collected the next month's rant. (laughs) Yeah. She also said that when she found the body, he she said something that implied that he had a boner. Oh, it looked like he was ready to hit a home run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's why they called us for you, because he had a boner? Maybe. But isn't that like part of a body going into rigor mortis? Do you get a boner or do you and I know you like No, jizz. because remember oh. remember in Clerks when that girl fucked that dude in the cooler and then found like was traumatized because it turns out he was dead and he had like a rigor boner? No. Mm-hmm. Clerks one or two? One. One. She doesn't know how the underwear got in there. Stabler starts getting kind of like pissy. Yeah. So he's like you were angry that he wasn't interested. And she's like, no, I wasn't. And she was like, there was a time when I totally wanted him, but not anymore. I have a boyfriend. Or I think I I have a boyfriend. Yeah. Tom Dayton. He works at a department store where he gets her great deals on lingerie. Mm -hmm. They had just seen each other the night before for drinks and got in a fight about Schiller. Yeah, he had thought there was something going on between them. And Olivia's like, why didn't you tell us this before? And Annabelle goes, Tom once told me that he loved me. 
That's worth a lot. Yeah. That was um, really good, Tasha. Was it? Yeah, because it was. I was channeling Reba McIntyre. It's even better. Mm. And I'm like, great, now I'm sad for her. Like, that's a really sad perspective to have. Right. I feel bad. Th- what he what she said. I know, I'm just wondering why everybody thinks she's like totally disgusting. She's I like, know. Because she's a mom? Because <laughs> she's a, a single mom <laughs> in the 90s? I don't understand. Because she's... Uh, because she's a strong, assertive, brash. She's not, but she's not even like that. She's not walking around being like "fuck you, fuck you," you know, like pointing at people and really flipping over tables and shit. She's I think she like, kind of is. Maybe so, I just see her as like tool time lady, <laughs> like Tam. Tam. She says that she had dinner with Tom Dayton the night before at Julian's Bistro. Mm-hmm. So Benson and Staves are off to check that out. I love this waitress. I do too. Once again, they're questioning her in the middle of a busy shift. She's got like five tables. She's dodging them so she can take people their drinks and shit, but yeah. still keeping it. Yeah. Answering questions. So adorable. Yeah. So she says that Tom. She's got like a little neckerchief on. Yeah. She says that Tom is like a happy hour regular. She told them about the night before when Annabelle was with Tom Dayton and that they had gotten into a fight about her tip. Annabelle wanted to leave more, Tom less. Then it turned into she loved him more and he loved her less. But I have a PSA. Please don't ever openly talk about a server's tip in front of them. Yeah. Even if you think it's positive, like, ooh, we're leaving you a big tip. Side note. Note, people who say that never truly leave big tips. Mm-hmm. All this does is create awareness of a power differential. Right. So just yeah. let them serve you, treat them like a worthy human being, and tip them well. Yeah. And never punitively tip. I hate that when people are like... Don't acknowledge the tip at all. It can go unsaid. We all know that no, it's I part mean, of it. I mean, tip them well even if they were a shitty waiter. Oh, yeah. No, you know for what I mean? sure. Like, don't be like punitively as in like, I'm going to oh, punish see. you tip. You didn't do that good enough, so I'm not going to tip her that well. It's like... Like, yes. have you ever had a bad day at work before? Right. Like, come on. And they make like $3 an hour, if that sometimes. Yeah. Like, always tip well, period. I don't give a shit what's going on. Mm-hmm. 20% is the baseline. Right. Anyway. Yeah. The waitress says that they had a fight and Mrs. Hayes stayed and had a few Manhattans. I bet she did. Yeah. And then the waitress says, I told her women are much better left to their own mechanical devices. I'm sure you know what I mean. She like glanced over at Benson. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take note on exactly what she said. I just Said, She's like, vibrators are cool. Uh, I said, the server stares down Stabler and basically says, dudes are worthless, get a vibrator. Right, Olivia? I mean, yeah. And they love it. And they Benson both and Stabler are like, back, like <laughs> smiling. Yeah. I wrote, Stabler and Benson are amused. I wrote, they love it. Next scene. Benson and Stabler are outside of Tom Dayton's work. Oh my God, you're going to hate me. What? I'm like, there he is. Hair full of body, silver fox, dimples. I would 100% hit it. I don't really even remember what he looked like, and I watched it twice. He was very attractive. Oh, I mean. He wasn't wearing a flannel or carrying an axe. He wasn't even on your radar. It was just like a suit floating. It's <laughs> a haunted episode. I think every scene he's been in has been with Stabler, so I've just been like mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> rubber and Stabler. I guess. Outside of the work, Benson and Stabler find Tom, and they're questioning him. He works in juniors, like teen girl fashion. Yeah. Dayton admits he had overreacted and had no evidence anything was going on between Schiller and Mrs. Hayes. He went home alone because he had to get up early because it's busy because of homecoming. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler are wondering if he went over to the house and killed Schiller before he got home. And they're wondering why Mrs. Hayes didn't tell him about Tom being her boyfriend. 
boyfriend. Yeah. Tom said that he and Annabelle had dated for six to eight months and that she was more serious than he was. I don't think Stabler likes how he's talking about teenagers. This was all played very subtly, but he mentions homecoming and Virginia was hard to read and Stabler's like, huh, yeah, homecoming. Mm -hmm, I know. And I'm like, oh, great. Am I going to regret being attracted to this guy? (laughs) Did he go after Virginia sexually? Yeah. Two episodes about kids and now every dude on the show is a pedophile. I guess I didn't feel like Stabler was thinking that he was more like relating because he has a daughter that same age who's going to homecoming. Oh, no. You watch it again. I did. I watched it twice. No, you watch it again now. Watch (laughs) it. (laughs) Watch it again. And as long as you're under this ham house. (laughs) His face wasn't like, I get it. His face was like, yeah, I get it. Why are you bringing up teenagers so much? He's like, I'm in the biz. And Stabler's like, Jesus Christ. I don't know, man. Yeah, no, I do. So... (laughs) Tom says he overreacted, but then he went home and the doorman saw him. The doormen are the unsung hero of the alibi. Always. They always have to be like, all right, well, let's go check in with the doorman. They're at the Stabler's house. Stabler's doing the little girl's hair. Everybody's like dressed up. They're going out to eat. But then the phone rings and he's got to go to work. So he's like, hey, I'll meet you guys for dessert. And the daughter's like, I'm sharing you now. I think I called her Catherine in the last episode. I did too. Yeah. Her mom's name is Catherine. Her name is Maureen. Yeah. If we cause any confusion. She's a little bitch. <laughs> she kind of is. She's kind of a little teenager. Yeah. And then so he gives everybody a kiss and then she's like, Ugh, not on the lips. And he's like, when did that start? Or his wife was like, when you're at work. Yeah. What the fuck did that mean? So Stabler has to take off to go to the precinct. Cut to that. Olivia and Elliot are on the computer. Tom Dayton actually died in a car crash in 1987. <gasps> his brother stole his identity. Scott Dayton convicted Ooh. of child molestation. Mm-hmm. Fucking great. It's a amazing that my husband's cool because my picker fucking sucks yeah you hear that molesters if something happens to my husband i will die alone because i cannot avoid you creeps (laughs) then they're like oh my god he didn't want mrs hayes he wanted virginia (gasps) cut to dayton's work and he's freaking fitting a young girl for a dress for homecoming handsy as fuck yeah benson and stabler show up they say where can we find a scott dayton and this is the part where he's like And Scott throws a rolling clothing rack in front of the detectives and the chase is on. Yeah. There was no need for him to make that I know. sound. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Don't make a scene at your job. You're so unprofessional. Yeah. And the fucking girl, the girl in the dress is like, Woo! Olivia tackles him. Yeah. A fucking another pedophile. Yeah. Stabler must be fucking losing his mind. Oh. Like, so yeah, Olivia tackles him like three seconds later. Like, way to get a head start, Tom. <laughs> He's like, I was just trying to do my job. And Olivia's like, that's what we were afraid of. Wow, 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 wow. Yep. They're in the interrogation room. Scott is being interrogated by Benson and Stabler. Scott saying he wanted a clean start, so he took his brother's social security number. He like took his identity because after he was convicted, he said that there was no way he was going to have like a normal life. And he's like, I'm a dressmaker. Yeah. So he had to be able to make dresses for underage girls. Yeah. He swears his impulses are under control and that he never, that him and Mrs. Hayes actually had like a normal sex life three times a week, which to me still I'm like mind blown by that. What? That people have sex three times a week that's with the same person like, exhausting like, like that sounds in my early 20s i remember being like only three times a week yeah and now i'm like oh i don't even have kids oh my god imagine having kids yeah when they accuse him of doing something to annabelle's daughter he's like i would never hurt Ginny. and staves is in the background <laughs> like virginia <laughs> 
Stapes is hot. Yeah. They accused him of being jealous of the attention that Annabelle and Virginia gave to Schiller, so he killed him. Mm -hmm. And he says that Schiller was definitely doing shit to Virginia because he can tell that he was like him. They're everywhere. He says Schiller is a pedophile. He saw the way he looked at her and he Mm. knew that look. He keeps saying no, that he like, he wasn't interested in her and he had gotten his life together. Stabler like really lays into him. He's like, I'm surprised you didn't ask Annabelle to marry you. Then Virginia'd be daddy's little girl, huh? And Olivia's like, enough. Olivia checks Stabler in front of Scott, and I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. Stay on the same team, you guys. There's a there's definitely a rift in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're in Cragen's office. Everybody's there. Benson tells Stabler that sometimes enough is enough. And he's like, nope. And Cassidy goes, it sounds like Dayton pulled his life together. He got a regular job. And Munch pragmatically says, yeah, he works in the juniors department. And Cassidy goes, it's hard to change careers. I know. He's I like- thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I guess. That delivery was funny as shit. If you go back and watch it, when Cassidy goes, it's hard to change careers. I did. Twice. I just didn't think it was that funny. I don't think Cassidy's funny. Wow. I just don't. Oh, my God. A guy threw a rack of clothes for no reason. How (laughs) am I going to, like, how is it going to be anything else? Ugh. So funny. I just feel really disconnected right now. Just like in the episode between Benson and Stabler. Oh, my God. It's happening. (laughs) Olivia is yelling that they have nothing on Scott slash Tom. Staves is yelling that he stole his dead brother's identity to evade registering as a sex offender. That's mm-hmm. fucking valid. Like, yeah. he stole an identity. He's violating his parole. You guys could at least fucking lock him up while you figure shit out. Cragen yells that they need to talk to Virginia because they need to figure out which one of them, if any, was being predatory to her. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler are at a community pool and they find Virginia. They sit her down and they're asking her, like, what happened? So she claims that Dayton would come in her room at night when he stayed over and would rape her when her mom passed out. Schiller heard them at some point and came in and shoved Dayton off of Virginia. Schiller told Dayton that he would kill him if Dayton ever touched Virginia again. She's crying. She's really upset. She seems very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, Virginia did go home that night. She found Schiller and she said she knew what had happened, that he had died protecting her. So she ran to the train station and stayed there all night. She had been wearing those underwear of her mom's. Ew. I've never. Ever. Worn anybody's underwear that wasn't mine. No. Ew. Especially my mom's. I know. And it's like, well, I wanted to look fucking hot, so. I wear my mom's underwear. Yeah. Is that weird? Come on. So she said she didn't tell them that before because she didn't want to get in trouble that she was wearing her mom's underwear. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want anybody to be like, you're a fucking sicko. Get your own goddamn panties. Yeah. And she said that after she came home from the pool, she took a shower and like hid the underwear in the hamper. And that's how Tom got them and shoved them in Schiller's mouth or something. Mm -hmm. So she said she found Schiller after her shower at about 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. And Olivia asked her what the position of the body was. And she couldn't answer. And she started crying precinct bullpen so they're getting their shit together and giving it to who i assume is the ada yeah um so they can arrest dayton we just had never seen her before olivia is not satisfied with virginia's story this and is so weird to me because like, i know benson is like always well that's what stabler says to her yeah yeah so olivia isn't satisfied with virginia's story and she doesn't think that virginia found schiller mm-hmm in walks Jeffries with a report from the medical examiner. Schiller had just had sex before he was killed. And there was secretions in the panties. <laughs> that matched the secretions on his body. Yeah. It, it was, was Virginia. Virginia. 
Ooh, what happened? Yeah. So it was Virginia and Schiller, not Virginia and Dayton. Mom walked in, flew into a rage and killed him. Dayton walked in, flew into a rage and killed him. Virginia snapped, flew into a rage and killed him. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing all the poses like anybody's going to see me. It's for you. Because Craig and pretty much did. Yeah. <laughs> Staves, he still thinks that like Dayton was like fucking with her. Yeah. Staves is not going to drop this Dayton shit. Yeah. And because he, he was like, oh, Schiller raped her. And they're like, or they had a relationship. And he's like, no. Yeah. So they're at uh, the Hayes house again. On the front step. Yep. Mrs. Hayes answers. She's denying the, te- the detectives the opportunity to question her daughter again. Annabelle was like, no, you can't talk to my daughter. And they're like, fine. We want to talk to you and Virginia 8 a.m. tomorrow. Right. Bring your lawyer. Yeah. Virginia walks up the hallway near the door. She has like a smug smile on her face. She's got a real attitude and no bra. And I'm like, okay, I see what they're trying to do with Virginia now. (laughs) What does the no bra thing have to do? What do you mean? Because she was like Rachel Green nipping out with an attitude. And I'm like, Mm. oh, they're trying to make her look like a slut. Mm. Oh. Yeah. And then Olivia asks her, she's like, does killing a man make you feel all grown up? And then the door gets slammed in her face. So after Olivia says that and Annabelle slams the door in her face, I'm like, Benson, what are you doing? If Virginia snapped like you had thought she maybe did, she's a victim, Mm -hmm. right? Like if she was like, she couldn't take it anymore because, you know, these older guys are fucking with her. Like this guy's molesting her. This guy's a predator. Why all of a sudden are you pissed that she killed it? Like it does. Olivia's weird in this episode. I know. Yeah. She's not like herself. Yeah. Stabler house. Can I tell you this? Yes. These are my notes. Gabe, I'll let you take this scene. (laughs) Okay, so this, okay, so this next scene when we're at Stabler's house, it's so weird. Him and his, Stabler and his wife are like making out on the couch. First of all, it's probably the first time in forever that all of their children are like bothering them at once. So they're like (laughs) going to be getting it on. Right. And like doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, God, this interaction was so fucking weird. He's in a tight white Man tank, yeah. first of all. And they're just making out. <laughs> or Stabler, Stabler and his wife are getting on the couch. I wish it was me. <laughs> it's it's weird because they're kissing and then Stabler's like shoots up and he's like, do you think Maureen has a boyfriend? And she's like, yeah, probably ones that she kisses on the lups. And they just start talking about if she's had sex or if she hasn't had sex and how they're going to find out, if they're going to find out. And it was just the weirdest fucking... What's your thought on it? No, it is weird. Because he's like, she have a boyfriend? And she's like, Jim? And he's like, little Jimmy? She's like, bro, he's like six foot and a junior and like first string, blah, blah, blah. He's got a huge throbbing dick that you can see through his khakis. I need to get laid, Elliot. (laughs) And then when he asks, has Maureen had sex yet? Do you know? I'm like, I hope that John knows enough to let that shit breathe when our kids are teenagers. Mm -hmm. Think about that. When did you lose your virginity? Mm, 15. Yeah. Was I? Yeah, I was 15. So it's like, hey. Eh. <laughs> so <We were> pork and <laughs> so young. <laughs> the first time I had sex, I was like, it was like early in the evening and it was a plan. It was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do indoors. This. Yeah. Okay. I was like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Mine this too. is happening. And we did it. And then I was like, huh. And I just remember being like, you want to go to the movies? I was waiting for this moment you know like well i'm a woman now you know and 
Does everybody, what is that? Have you seen a thing where it's it's like the society treats losing your virginity like it's a transformative moment for mm-hmm. a young girl, like your dick has that much power? Right, yeah. Even in that moment, even at 15, when I'm like- Your tiny little baby 15-year-old dick that doesn't know what it's doing. That's like- that much power. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, oh. No, I lost my virginity in the back of a truck at an Amtrak station with the love of my life that I met at Bible <laughs> camp, so- <laughs> My high school boyfriend and I dated for 10 months before we did it. Hmm. (laughs) I was like desperately in love with the guy I lost my virginity to. Oh. Yeah. My mom was like, because we would write letters. And my mom was like, you can't see and talk to him anymore. And I remember just teen, like I collapsed to the floor. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh. My mom was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Oh, my God. It was, How am I going to deal with that shit? <laughs> it was great. And you know it's going to be Jacoby and not Scooch. She's not going to give a fuck no, about you. anybody. So they're in the bullpen, Munch, Jeffries, Cassidy, Benson, and Stabes. They're bantering back and forth about girls maturing faster than boys, RBGH and cows causing premature body development. Jeffries and Munch are sassing each other. Stabler answers the phone. Here's the point of this whole thing. Virginia's in the hospital. She tried to commit suicide. Yeah. So we go to the hospital. Virginia's in a bed. Benson and Stabler are talking to the doctor. She cut one wrist, and Benson says it doesn't seem like a serious attempt. And This is so odd for, uh, to hear Olivia say that. I know. And Stabes is like, what? It's, like, it's serious enough, dude. Yeah. She's like, oh, well, it was, you know, superficial and da-da-da. A lot of girls do this for as a cry for attention. And I'm like, Olivia. So then Annabelle steps in and she like gets she, right up to Benson and Stabler and she's like, you took the most important thing from me. And they think she means Virginia. And we all know that she doesn't. <laughs> I know. She's like, I'm talking about Thomas. <laughs> you poisoned him against me, you self-important bitch. <laughs> she's wasted. And I'm like, wait, it's just Benson's fault? Right. Uh, okay, so they're back at the precincts. The um, ADA informs them that Mrs. Hayes is planning to sue the entire department for lost wages, emotional distress, etc. And lost boyfriend. Lost boyfriends, yeah. Um, the DA is like, what yeah. is your guys' decision? Like, who like, are we going after? Right. Um, Elliot is like firmly for Virginia's defense while Olivia doesn't believe Virginia is I innocent know. one bit. It's they crazy. really can't agree. Yeah. I mean, the, even the camera work shows they're just like facing each other like. Right. And Craig is in the middle like, wah, wah, you know. <laughs> I don't love Olivia's interpretation of Virginia here. Mm-mm. Like, just because she doesn't act the way you think she should doesn't take away from her chronological age meaning something. Because yeah. she she references, like, something about She's Virginia. like, yes, chronologically she's a child, but she's not, like, yeah. emotionally. And we're like, dude, that is Would you not ever, the point. This is not... This is law. You deal with law. And this isn't uh, this isn't accurately portraying Olivia Benson. Yeah. Okay. This is an inaccurate portrayal. But then Mariska Hargitay like, is reading these. She's saying these lines, but she's not feeling them. She's, she's not, not believing them. them. Yeah. Craig ends up sending the ADA away and says that they'll call her once it's worked out. Right. Stabler is not ready to agree that Virginia is the killer, and Craig and the ADA are not happy about it. Yeah. So then they show that um, Benson and Stabler on the on like New York City streets, like just hashing it out together, talking about the mind of a teen. Yeah. Turns out Benson dated a dude in his 30s when she was 17 and she loved him. Yeah. And she's saying, this is so bizarre. She's like, soulmates are, can come in all shapes and ages and. 
Right. I'm like, what are you saying? I even wrote, whoa, Olivia. Yeah. So she says that Stabler's trying to protect his daughter, Maureen, in this. And he's like, don't. Yeah. So they're back at Stabler's house. Maureen is going to homecoming and is all dressed up. She's walking down the stairs in her dress with her sheer shoulder thing that does nothing. And her hair in little twisties and butterfly clips and curls. So, you know, she's going to the Olive Garden with a boner and a rented tuxedo. (laughs) In the year 2000. Yes. Her, like, lips are like that frosty... Oh, a frosty lip for homecoming. (laughs) Yes. Um, And just a mouthful of braces. Yeah. The mom's taking a ton of pictures and they get downstairs and the guy's like, (laughs) she's like, oh, not much. (laughs) He gives her a corsage and she's like, thanks. (laughs) And then they have to take a picture together and Sabler's still standing there and mom's like, get out of here. He's hovering super hard. Yeah, yeah. And then the daughter's like, don't wait up for me. And he's like, yeah, right. And I'm like, I hope Maureen gets laid. <laughs> but then she runs back and gives him a hug. Yeah. Like that matters. But mm, it does matter because it's like Stabler's processing being a dad, but then also being a special victims unit detective. I can guarantee he's not going to be all fucking weird about little Dickie getting some fucking puss. I know. He's going to be like, bro, you did it. Ugh, all of that felt weird to say. Yeah. Oh, so Benson and Stabler go back to the Hayes house. Virginia invited them there. She wanted to talk to them. Virginia buzzes them in and tells them that she's upstairs in Schiller's old room. She admits that Mr. Dayton, her fucking mom's boyfriend, never touched her. Mm-hmm. It's in this room that she admits that she was in love with Schiller and they made love. She tells this dramatic story about feeling yeah. pulled to him and mm. she had kissed him first and they had started this affair that went on for months. She hated when he would leave and would cry every night he was gone. And he would like promise that he would never leave her again. So she read his mail and found out that he was going to go to Romania. So she packed a bag thinking that she was going to go with him and he said he had to travel light right after they had banged yeah that night the night that he died so she goes something broke inside of me i put my knee on his throat and held it there then when he was still i put my underwear in his mouth and i'm like when we first came upon this dead body with a shitty tan line we were told that his cause of death was blunt force trauma blunt force trauma and now it was a knee to the throat those are two different things they also asked her what position the body was in and she didn't know but she did because she killed him this doesn't make any sense because she said that she found him and then Mm -hmm. ran off to the thing they're like I've never seen somebody not know what position the body was in yeah I demand more from my hour long crime dramas I just want to know what is going on so none of the it's not adding up it's not making any sense right but this this is like a writing thing not like somebody's correct yeah she just wanted him to take her away and love her and Mm -hmm. that's not what that's not what the deal was so they're in Cragen's office Cragen tells Stabler that the ADA is going for man too and he's like you okay with that and Stabes is struggling with it because of Maureen why only man too she murdered a guy I know but she's a teenager that was also getting fucked with by like this older dude oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah so her head was kind of I like that they cut her a little bit of slack yeah I mean it's like she needs help yeah so Stabler's struggling with the whole thing because of Maureen. He's been in constant protective mode of her his whole life. And he's like, I saw that girl like I saw my daughter as a victim. And Craigan's like, you want to be the only man in her life? Stabler is struggling with dad stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I don't. Well, I guess I kind of do. And then Craigan's like, you got wrapped up in it. Yeah. He goes, don't worry when you feel something. Yeah. Worry when you don't. I was like, fucking Craigan. You know, Stabes can dad somebody with the best of them, but nobody out Dad's Kragen. Mm. Executive producer Dick Wolf. <laughs> Executive <laughs> producer Pork Wolf. <laughs>
All right, it's chaser time. Ooh, I'm curious about what what you got. Okay, so this episode, when I do a chaser, the first thing I do is to look and see if the episode was based on anything, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't say anything about it. So I read on IMDb that this episode was a tribute to (gasps) Vladimir Nobokov's 1955 book, Lolita. Mm. They even borrowed character names, Annabelle, Hazes, and oh. Richard Schiller. How did I not catch any of that? I read the book. I've seen the, both movies. Just so this doesn't turn into a book report of a How fictional is it story. How contribute to that? It well, doesn't... I'm going to give you the Sparks Notes bullet points of the book just for anybody who doesn't know the story. Humbert Humbert has a girlfriend who's 12 when he's 13, but she dies of typhus and he never gets over it. So he stays sexually obsessed with 12-year-old girls after this. He this calls... is the book Lolita, by the way, if I haven't said that. He calls them nymphettes. Yeah. He moves to the U.S. and rents a room in this lady's house. He hates her, but is obsessed with her 12-year-old daughter, Dolores Hayes. She goes by the name Lolita. He marries the mom to stay close to Lolita. The mom finds his diary and learns that he hates her, but is obsessed with her daughter. So she tells him she's leaving him, walks outside, and gets hit by a car and dies. Yeah, she's like putting she's putting letters to the police or something in mm. the mailbox and gets hit before. So he was able to like, collect the letters Yeah, before she... Yeah, so he's literally like Lolita's stepdad now. So Humbert picks up Lolita, says, hey, your mom's dead, and they travel across the U.S. and quote-unquote start a relationship. Well, that's right, because Lolita's at camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. At this time, he feels like they're being followed. Lolita doesn't want to be with him anymore. She wants to be with boys her own age. So she ends up sick and in the hospital, and when he goes to get her, she's gone because some other older dude had picked her up which turned out to be the dude who was following them dude gets called out at a hotel by another guy too just like that one guy who was like you can see who other pedophiles were like some dude was like i know who you are. i know who you are because i'm that and like i know that's not your daughter Ugh. yeah so then he searches for her for two years but he can't find her and then he gets a note from her that she's pregnant and married but isn't with the dude that took her from the hospital like he had assumed Turns out she's poor and pregnant at 17. So apparently she had loved the dude that took her from the hospital, but he left her when she refused to participate in a child pornography orgy. Mm -hmm. Humbert gives her four grand and goes and shoots the other guy until he's dead. Humbert goes to prison. Lolita dies in childbirth and Humbert dies of heart failure. The end. Uh... Oh, fuck, I don't remember the end of you. I just, I do remember him going to visit her when she's pregnant and him internally dialoguing. She has like hair on her legs and how oh, she's like gone through puberty and he like doesn't like it. Yeah. You know, Ugh. it was like super weird. It at him, not at puberty. Also ill at puberty. I hated it. Yeah. Um. So the, the craziest thing about that book is that you have this struggle back and forth between like really like feeling sorry for this guy and like really like rooting for him too at the same time it's like super fucked up and then you're like oh right like i i was reading something else about it that was like nobokov's pedophile protagonist Mm -hmm. and i'm like ooh, that's really hard to because i'm going how is this one of the most popular books of all time i mean it's like it's beautifully written it's just like fucked and it's just the internal struggle that you have reading it it's like kind of hard but it's like really good so that is getting us into what my chaser is. Okay. I looked into if Lolita was based on a true story, and it's controversial, but there is actually a book called The Real Lolita, The Kidnapping of Sally Horner and the Novel That Scandalized the World by Sarah Weinman. What? Yup. Sarah Weinman is a writer who claims 
that this author appropriated Sally Horner's story and capitalized on it. A, a quote from Sarah Weinman that I felt like really sums up the reason for her being upset about it is, I fervently believe that Sally Horner and her story matter in terms of all women and all girls who have suffered, who have been abused, who continue to suffer, who continue to be abused. We have to remember them and not automatically give credence to men who would erase them, who would override them, who would manipulate and seduce them. And it's really important for women's voices to be heard, especially now. What I read out of that is he took Sally Horner's story and used it as a skeleton for his own work and then let her be forgotten. Her issue is that a man stripped Sally Horner of memory when he didn't credit her story as an inspiration for Lolita. Mm. So with that, I'm going to tell you the story of the abduction of 11-year-old Sally Horner. Oh my God, I don't know any of this. I am like They tell you so... why I like get such a boner for doing this chaser now? Because you knew I would. I was going to be like, what? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Okay. Florence Sally Horner was born April 18th, 1937. Her mother, Ella, was a young widow. Her stepfather had committed suicide when she was six years old. Sally didn't have much growing up, but she was bright. She was an honor student, but because of her social status and being of few means, she was a bit of an outcast. And Sally just wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. When she was in fifth grade, Sally and her mother were living in Camden, New Jersey. So July 15th, 1948, Sally was trying to make friends with a group of girls her age. I had read somewhere that they were calling themselves a girls club and they dared her to steal something to be initiated into the club. And I'm like, okay, that's a fifth grade gang. That's super awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's not, but it's like, that's pretty cool. So she went into Woolworths, so 1940s, mm -hmm. and took a five cent notebook only to be grabbed by a man claiming to be from the FBI. He told her he would let her go if she began regularly reporting to him and he would be monitoring her for shoplifting. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you already know that this FBI agent was not that mm -hmm. and was instead a sexual predator. His name was Frank LaSalle. He was 50 years old and he was a mechanic. Frank had a rap sheet that included multiple counts of molestation of girls ranging in age from 11 to 14. Sally didn't hear from Frank for a little while, but then a few months later, he'd stopped her while she was walking home from school and told her that the government wanted her to go to Atlantic City with him, like the higher ups in the FBI ordered it. He told her that she was going to have to tell her mom that she was going to Atlantic City with some friends, like a friend's family vacation, and that she was invited to go with and that he was the dad. Mm -hmm. So then later Sally had said, quote, he said he would have to take me to Atlantic City. He telephoned my mother and said he was taking me and some other girls to Atlantic City. I went with him and a woman about 25 years old. He called her Miss Robinson and said she was his secretary and he paid her $90 a week. Instead of going to Atlantic City, we went to Baltimore. Miss Robinson disappeared and I never saw her again. The sad part to me about her telling her mother this is that her mom was so poor that even though she didn't know the friends, she wanted her daughter to get to experience a beach vacation or do something yeah. fun like that. So she let her go. Yeah. Yeah. She regularly checked in with her mom by phone, but by the end of July, Sally's mom contacted the police. During this time, LaSalle pretended to be a widowed father, Sally being his daughter, mm -hmm. all the while raping her. <gasps> what did you think he was doing? 
I know. Every time she wouldn't comply, he would threaten to report her for the shoplifting. How do I teach my kids that they can steal a fucking commercial jet and I wouldn't be mad? You know what I mean? Like this girl, he kept her hostage as a sex slave. Over over five cents. Over 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 a five cent notebook because he had her convinced that he could he could get her sent to reform school. I mean, she believed the whole time that he was an FBI agent. So, Mm -hmm. so they lived in Baltimore for six months. Camden police indicted LaSalle and abstained for kidnapping so he wanted to get further away Um, so then he took sally down to dallas and they had a neighbor in dallas ruth janish who developed a suspicion of what was going on she had asked sally about it but sally still believing that lasalle was an fbi agent wouldn't say anything Mm -hmm. and ruth did not like this at all yeah soon after ruth and her husband moved to san jose california Hmm. Sally eventually told a classmate at school in Dallas she was always enrolled in Catholic schools by LaSalle through all of this. So she mm-hmm. was always going to school, which is crazy. And it tells you how much power an abuser can have over somebody. Yeah. Because she was going to school and like forming some kind of relationships and not being able to tell anybody. So And then just like going home. Yeah. Again. You know? Yeah. So Sally eventually told a classmate at school and the classmate was like, that's wrong and y'all should knock it off. That's what I imagine she sounds like. Mm -hmm. But told Sally what she was doing was wrong. Remember, this is a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And this girl is fucking 11. Okay. But it did seem to empower Sally a little bit, though. She later said to police, quote, I began to reject his advances after that. Well, Ruth's over in San Jose still stewing about all this shit. Women have intuition. Mm -hmm. Women are magical. I just got tingles all over my body. Mm -hmm. So Ruth writes to Frank LaSalle. She writes him a letter and tells him that there are a bunch of job opportunities in San Jose and that they should come there. Derp. He takes Sally to San Jose. Some fucking FBI agent, you fucking idiot. Right. God. After some coaxing, Sally eventually confesses everything to Ruth and says that she missed her mom and wanted to go home. Ruth's like, listen, it's 1950. Here's my phone that's probably made of wood hanging on the wall. (laughs) Tell the operator to connect you to your family and we'll get you the fuck out of here. Yeah. Sally called her sister Susan and told her to send the FBI right away. The police take Sally to a children's cell. The police take shit. Sally to a children's seltzer. (laughs) (laughs) The police take Sally to a children's shelter and arrest LaSalle. Um, God, that was hard. That was a lot of yeah. S's. The police take Sally to a children's shelter. If I say it with a weird accent, <laughs> I can say it fine. <laughs> she tried to double... Uh, Wait, can you do the S's like the... Yeah. The police take Sally to a children's shelter and, <laughs> and arrest LaSalle. <laughs> I wish I could do that. <laughs> So LaSalle tried to double down that Sally was his daughter and that Sally's mom, Ella, was his second wife. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ella's back at home telling the cops that she had never fucking met this guy in her life. So LaSalle's going to jail. Sally's safe. She had been a captive of Frank LaSalle for 21 months. Whoa. So she was like 13 almost. She was almost 13. Yeah, it was right before her 13th birthday that she got to go home. That's literally like the only math I can do. Great job. I said almost just to cover in case I didn't make it. (laughs) Frank LaSalle was convicted under the Mann Act, 
which was also the White Slave Traffic Act. I looked into that for a minute, too. The roots of it started messy, but, like, it ended up being a decent thing. Like, I just, just like, get rid of the white slave thing. White like, hey, we got to make white slave stuff not okay. So the Man Act was... Wait, if you would have done that to a black girl? No, it just, okay. it's the name of it. It's It was about transporting women across state lines for immoral purposes. Mm-hmm. But then it started getting, like, there were all these loopholes so, like, guys could punish women for, like, running off with another dude um, mm-hmm. beside their husband or whatever. So it basically comes down to... Um, it's it's, it's sex trafficking. Okay. So he waived his right to an attorney and pled guilty to all charges and was sentenced to 35 years. At his sentencing, the judge called him a moral leper. In I'm surprised day. he got 35 years for that considering they like don't care if grown men have sex with kids. I know. But he was like a continual offender and, he'd ki- and she was kidnapped. She was 11 when he took her. Mm-hmm. So he died in prison in 1966 or 67. I read conflicting things, but he was 69 years old. So because it was 1950, when Sally came home just before her 13th birthday, she was treated like shit and teased by the other kids. They made fun of her for saying that she provoked the abuse and called her a whore and all kinds of shit. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. And like the the whoever takes care of this shit, the FBI, had told her mom, like, if you guys want to get out of here and like go live under a different name or something, so because it was this big story. Um, you can, like, we'll help you do that. And they were like, nah, we're just going to try to get back to normal life. And she was made fun of terribly for being raped for two years. Wow. Um, kids are awful. Kids are the... Kids are terrible people. People really need to stop... People need to stop having them for a while. Yeah. Okay, so she comes home. Two years pass. In August of 1952, Sally goes to the Jersey Shore with a friend on a summer trip. They had fake IDs and went partying and shit. It sounds super fun. It's like what everybody did. Mm-hmm. Um, they would get... IDs to say that they were 21 and they'd like go out to bars and shit. Well, probably 18 then. No, it said 21. The thing that I read said that her ID said that she was 21. Oh. So when she was out doing this, she met 20-year-old Edward Baker and they started dating. She told him she was 17. So... But really she's like 14, she's, right? She's 15 years old. She meets Edward Baker. It's Eddie, right? She meets Eddie. He was 20. She told him that she was 17. On the night of August 18th, Sally and Eddie were riding in his car. He was driving. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And in the darkness, hit a parked truck. Sally died from her injuries. Fucking Frank LaSalle sent flowers to her funeral. Her family was like, fuck you, Frank. What the fuck? Yeah. She was buried in her family's plot in New Egypt, New Jersey. So that's about it. That was a good chaser. Oh, my God, thanks. Wow, man. I didn't know any of that. Follow us on Instagram at svupod. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Twitter at svupod. Go to our website at svupod, especially heinous.com. <laughs> Join our Facebook group. I pork and love you. <laughs> pork man ham house. <laughs> All right. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Here, let me try to... Okay, give me some... Some feedback? Yeah. Well, I just think that you could work harder in your life. You know? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>